Feel like the everyday chaos is getting to be too much? Head on over to winninggym.com slash BAP and we can help you there. Join our eight-week ProFit Business Accelerator program for quick wins for your gym. Check it out. You deserve it. Now back to the show. You are listening to the Built to Grow podcast, delivering the knowledge in all things fitness business. We help gym owners win. Here are your hosts, Tim Lyons and Randy Angston. All right. Welcome back to the Build to Grow podcast. I am your host, Tim Lyons, in the Zoom studio today, the coronavirus social distancing podcast today. Uh, joined, as always, by my co-host, Randy, the miser of magnificent Angston. And a special guest today, we have the doc, Dr. John Berardi, coming in all the way from down the street, but zoomed in. <laughs> He's also in Scottsdale, but we decided to uh, keep everything separated. If you don't know John, John's uh, the co-founder of Precision Nutrition, also the with a new book out, The Changemaker uh, in Changemaker Academy. Welcome to the show, Doc. Thank you for having me, Tim and Randy. I appreciate yeah. you guys. And it is a shame we can't be in person today uh, because we would be literally right down the road from one another. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that's all right. I've been Zooming Feel like I was born for this. I've been zooming my whole life. You know, <laughs> PN started as a virtual company. We never had an office. Never, you know, never had a in-person workspace. So we learned how to do all this stuff many, many moons ago. So it yep. feels comfortable to me. It's also yeah. great for a natural introvert like me. Like I can do these kind of things without having to be around people all the time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing I've been following you, John, for a long time, I've heard you speak. I've been in the industry for 10 years, so I've seen you yeah, perform better. I actually, I think, were you out here when we, remember the meeting of the minds? Oh yeah, the meeting that of the was, minds. Yes. That was a really cool uh, event where we had, you know, the experts were up there and you guys were kind of debating each other. And that was a really mm. cool kind of event that uh, Chris put on from Perform Better. But I've been following you a long time. I'm PN certified from years ago. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I, I remember, if, if nothing else, obviously the content's amazing and everything that you do is amazing, is the branding that PN brought to the table, mm -hmm. that light blue, the clean websites, the everything was like top notch. Did, was that from you mostly or did you have a design team put that together? Yeah, I mean, I, well, I'd love to take credit for all the things that PN successfully over the years, you know, it, and without it sounding too cliche, it really is a, a team effort, right? I mean, Phil Caravaggio's uh, co-PN, we started the company together and ran it all those years together. And uh, the, the main thing we always tried to do was work under the assumption that, you know, when you're, when you're building, when you're trying to build something incredible, you, you can't do it alone. Like, like your brain doesn't have all the best ideas in it. Sure. The best ideas come from the interface between you and other people. That space, when you put smart people in the room together, that exists. It's like its own entity, right? It's not you. It's not them. It's the thing between you all that creates amazing work. Also, your customers have to have a say in this, right? The people you hope to sell things to and add value to. So for us, I mean, the branding, the marketing, all of it came from this deep understanding that me and Phil in a room together could do okay. Mm -hmm. Me and Phil in a room together with the world's best thinkers could do a little bit better. And me and Phil in a room together with the world's best thinkers and customer and client and reader representation is the win right there. Okay. So the branding, you know, we brought on people who do that for a living and do it outside of fitness. 
that was the other thing, right? When we look for best in class, we always looked for the real best in class. Don't look at what's happening in fitness. Look at what's happening out there. You know, I like PN, we were trying to create like a world client care customer experience, right? Um, look at what people are doing in fitness, sure. But then we'll go out and say, what is world-class customer service? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, for like, you know, we're based in Toronto. So the Four Seasons Hotel is one of the night, probably top two nicest hotels in Toronto. And when you walk in, the experience is second to none, right? I mean, you drive up, someone grabs your car to valet nice. it. Yeah. They, they radio in secretly so that someone's waiting for you when you step in the door. Uh, Mr. Lyons, great to see you. you know? And you're like, whoa, I, I, I was out of my car two seconds. And already everyone knows who I am. Welcome back. Someone's going <laughs> to walk you to the thing. And, uh, and we would bring our entire team to the Four Seasons to have a meeting about how to ratchet up our client care. And so uh, why would you spend that much money? Well, because if the team has never experienced world-class client care, then how would they even know how to deliver it, right? So we're going to immerse ourselves in it. So that's always been our philosophy. How do we go outside of fitness to the best experiences in the world? You know, what is the best branding? What is the best, best copywriting? What is the best design? What is the best client care? And then immerse ourselves in that, right? Like if our marketing team wants to level up at marketing, I'm going to have them sign up for the newsletters of the best marketers in the world and buy their products Absolutely. and experience the whole end-to-end set of you know, lead funnels and copywriting and everything. So that's, yeah. that's really been our approach from the beginning. Like, how can we punch up? You know, like, we're, mm-hmm. like when we're a small company, you know, we're lightweights, but how can we fight with the heavyweights? You know? oh, and you've done a great job. And I mean, that's something that we kind of used to go back to when we were doing design and Randy's our designer for some of our funnels and websites and things. And we always would say, man, the PN look and feel is just so, so, so much better than what you see out there. So kudos to you on that one for sure. And, you know, and another thing, and, and for the gym owners out there listening, think about that, right? Think about you, if you only know what you know, if you do what, you know, PN did and John here and go to the four seasons, go experience this high level customer service. I know that uh, some of the mastermind groups I'm in, sometimes they go to like Barry's boot camp or an orange theory in their town and understand what makes them different. And then they take best practices back. So that's just something you guys could take from right away in the first five minutes of the show, go do that. Mm-hmm. And it pays off. So, so let's get into a little bit what you're doing now. Obviously uh, you mentioned before the show, uh, you know, 2017 kind of transitioned out. You're still on the board at PN and now you're doing something new. And mm-hmm. I was looking at it. I downloaded your, your book uh, and started reading that. And it's, it's awesome. Oh, yeah. What is that all about? What's Changemaker all about? Yeah. So towards the tail end of my tenure with Precision Nutrition, and for those who don't know, in 2017, Phil and I sold our ownership of the company. Uh, it was a, a great, I mean, a phenomenal experience. You know, we we were getting to the point, and, and for those of you who are listening who are curious about selling your company or in the process right now, thinking about how to do that, you know, for us, you know, you're probably curious why, why we would have sold the company. I mean, we were doing work we were proud of. We were getting paid extremely well. I mean, PN was the largest company of its kind. <clears throat> but what we realized was that to reach our ambitions for the reach we wanted to have and for the impact that we wanted to have, two owners uh, can't get it done, you know? 
So if you think about, you know, the net worth of two individuals, right? If anything were to ever go wrong at PN, right? And I don't know, we stop making money for a minute or, uh, and, and I, I've always talked about this, like, how do you, you know, something going wrong, proof your business, right? And, and now we're all like living right in now, the, we'll talk about yeah, this is it, right? Like, yeah. it used to be theoretical, right? Oh, keep, keep a year's worth of operational uh, costs uh, aside in the bank, just in case something goes wrong. And it was always in case now it's the thing that's going wrong. And the people who did it are yeah. feeling uncomfortable, but they know they'll survive. And the people who didn't th- don't know if they're going to survive. So for us, I mean, we're, it was getting the point where salaries were a million bucks a month, right? Wow. And we're like, man, if ever, anything were to ever go wrong, two individuals can't keep a company like this afloat. Mm-hmm. You know, we need, we need some outside money. And we'd never taken bank loans or investors or anything like that. But we thought, man, to get this thing to the next level, you need more capital. You know, you just need more financial firepower. And so we started looking around for that. And we found an amazing partner. Uh, Boston Ventures is a private equity company, a $5 billion fund uh, out of Boston. And, uh, and they're super experienced. They help companies through this exact phase of their growth. And we thought, okay, this is perfect. So Phil and I take money off the table, right? So we get paid for this asset that we own. Mm-hmm. So, so personally, it's a, it's a tremendous windfall for us. But then for the company, I mean, within the two years since uh, we sold PN, the company grew by 50%. So it went from about 100 team members wow. to 150. You know, the marketing budget goes up to a million dollars a month, you know, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden PN is now able to really spread its wings. You know, we created the products, we created the culture, right. and now it's really able to just take right off, right? So it's great. It's beautiful for us. I get to spend the winter in Arizona uh, hey. and it's beautiful for the team. So, um, and so as that was kind of happening, you know, so late 2017, you have a bit of uh, internal dialogue with yourself like, okay, cool. So what's next for me? Is it something in the field? Is it something outside of the field? What do I, what I want to do as I wrap up this, I call it a chapter, but it feels much, it feels like a series of novels, right? Yeah. Um, in my life. And I realized, man, I, what I'd love to do, I may, I might not work in health and fitness again. I don't know if I will or not. But I'd love to capture everything that I think I've learned authentically over the last 30 years growing this company and all the other things I did before that and put it down in a book for mm. health and fitness professionals, you know, the people who are so passionate about this work and give them a map to figure out how to be successful by whatever metrics of meaning that they establish um, on, on their own. So it's not just well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live my passion here and work in fitness and barely make the rent. It's how do I get both? How do I live my passion? How do I discover my purpose and my unique abilities? How do I work those and then translate that into success? And so, so that was it. I'm, I'm going to capture all this stuff that I've learned over 30 years. I'm going to put it down. And as you see from the book, it's not, just a, it's not something you're going to read before bed there's worksheets and there's yeah, scripts and all yeah. this kind of stuff, but you're going to do the work that will help take you through this process of figuring out who you are. And, and the way that I think about the book is this, we're going to spend some time figuring out who you are. And that's not, you know, ethereal kind of philosophical. It's like, what is your purpose, your unique ability set and your values? Mm-hmm. Now we know you. So let's make that a circle, right? Then we're going to figure out who the people are out there that you can, offer things to, sell things to. So that's them. Who are they? Who are they? What do they need? And what are they willing to spend money on? 
And then we're going to figure out the Venn diagram overlap of the two. What do you want to do? Who do you want to be? What do you want to offer? Great. If there's no one out there to buy that, not great. Not so great. now we have to figure out the people, right? And we figure out that overlap. And when you're living in that sweet spot, this is me. This is what I do. This is what I'm world-class at or could be. And this is them. And this is what they want to buy. And we find that little sliver of space and you work in that. It's a great life. You're going to not only feel personally rewarded because of every day is pretty cool in terms yeah. of what you get to do, but also you be financially rewarded for that. So, you know, it's figuring out you, figuring out them, figuring out how to level yourself up over the course of your career. And uh, so that's what we captured in the book. And then the Changemaker Academy is just sort of an extension of that. And you know, the lesson that I teach from this is, you know, the book came out in November. You know, Changemaker Academy is more of an idea than a business right now. Uh, the idea is if the book goes well, and this is an if, right? We'll probably have live events uh, where we'll bring all health and fitness change makers together annually. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll probably have local meetups around the world where instead of people working in the field with you in your local town are your adversaries, they become your allies. And we'll probably have online courses. But before we build all of that and spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars building that stuff, I want to see if people buy the $20 book first. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know what I mean? And because yeah. uh, people are always like, yeah, no, no, no. People are going to go for that. Get, just get started, right? And it's like, no, 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 wait. <laughs> Easier for you to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, right. go get started, right? <laughs> right. You know? so, so the book came out in November. It's doing really well. So we're using that as a litmus test. Is there a real business here? Are people really desperate and desiring this information? Do they want to go deeper? If so, then we've got this business on the back end that we'll be building out. Gotcha. Yeah. And, you know, and I could see that being great for people just coming into the industry, but also people that are in the industry, maybe kind of lost their way a little bit and they're like starting to serve this, you know, they don't enjoy what they do anymore and their clients that they're serving isn't really in alignment with what you were saying. Yeah. So that's, that's a really... Those are the two groups that it resonates with the most. Although my favorite is the third group, which is people who are in the industry and are doing pretty well, mm -hmm. right? And they'll hear about the book, they'll grab a copy, but in the back of their mind, it's like, ah, what, what more do I have to learn, right? And then they end up digging in and then they're like, wow, I actually, I, I learned a lot, you know? And, and so that's one of my favorite third groups that gets the book. For example, Stu McMillan is one of my closest friends. He runs, oh, yeah. he's a sprint coach. For those who don't know him, he's coached some of the top sprinters in the world. Uh, and he runs a business down here in Arizona. And so I sent him a copy of the book. He skimmed through it and then decided it wasn't for him. He's like, ah, I'm CEO of a company. I'm pretty successful myself. Mm -hmm. what, what more is JB going to teach me, right? And then after a few friends and colleagues were like, dude, have you read the book? You haven't read JV's book? Like he's, he's one of your best friends. He went into the book and then wrote this big article on it being like, hey, I'm cool. an idiot. Like, <laughs> don't be an idiot like me. The curse of knowledge, right? The curse of, hey, I'm, I'm successful. So what can I learn right. from other successful people? So I really feel like if folks work in this industry, this book adds some value. And I'm not just saying that to sell a $20 book. I I sold my business for $200 million. I don't need to make book royalties right now. Yeah. This, <laughs> is about, this is about impact for me and adding value for folks. That's great. Yeah. And you're continuing to give back. I guess if you're in this field and you've got all this knowledge and you've got all this time in your hands, I mean, this is a perfect thing for you as That's well. That's exactly so. it. Yeah. You captured it perfectly. I'm like, hey, I, got, I have time. So that was 
that was the next phase. And, and then once yeah. the book came out, you know, it, then it just became about hanging out with my family, to be honest. Like, we have four children. Uh, you met our three-year-old a few minutes yeah, ago. Yeah. So they're uh, three, five, seven, and nine. And, uh, so you're not busy at all then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially, especially right now, you know, we're, it, we're in this house, which is beautiful, but it's uh, 24-7 together from wake till bedtime to oh, wake again. So oh. <laughs> we had three hours of homeschool before we jumped on this today and we'll oh, have yeah. a couple hours after. That's awesome. Okay. So you got 30 years in this industry. You went through and sold your company for... Um, 200 million, which I didn't know. I guess that's, I guess that's okay. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and going back to the selling point, you know, there's these companies that go up and they hit this kind of peak and then they start maybe go down for whatever reasons and they wish they would have sold at the top. And mm-hmm. you're at the top, you're never thinking about selling because everything is great. You're making money, that's you're right. hiring people, everything's going right. That's the time you want to sell. That's like the magic crystal ball. When do I sell it at the top? It sounds like that's kind of what you did almost by default, just because like, you yeah. were looking to grow it. I mean, I, I, I learned so much in the process, obviously. Like you said earlier, you only know what you know. So I only yeah. knew what I knew, right? I only knew, like I, I, I used to say, as we were hitting that phase of the business, like it's really interesting because every day you wake up and you, you know, I got to the point where I was doing my unique ability work 80% of the time. I was, um, you know, running this tremendous company with a, beautiful group of people who I love. Um, yet you wake up every day and it's growing every day. Mm-hmm. So you're unprepared for what's next, right? So you're like, I have the skill of decision-making. I have the skill of learning, but I don't know how to do business at the next level. So as your business grows every day is like, oh man, I don't know how to do this, right. but, but I know how to learn how to do things. So it became super interesting. And um, the same is true when you go to sell, right? You don't know how to sell a company. You don't know, you know what that means. Um, and you don't know what's on the other end of that sale either. And, you know, I mean, the, the fortunate thing is PN actually wasn't at the top. Like it's, it was still going up. I mean, they've been growing sure. at a pace of 30, 40% annually for the last three years now. So it's continuing to go up, which is really amazing, amazing. Yeah. for the team. But um you know, hopefully, you know, if you have a business, you know, like you said, if, if the choice is to sell on the way down or at the peak, sell at the peak, peak right? right. Yeah. Um, but there's another option, which is you can also sell it as it's going up, right? And that's, yeah. that's a decision that you make based on, okay, cool. If I'm the owner, don't I want to keep going if it's going up? Maybe, but it depends on your personal life. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, takes, it takes a lot to be an entrepreneur and a business owner, right? It takes a lot of your hours. It takes a lot of your passion and enthusiasm. Do you want to continue doing this thing? And so, again, this is what we unpack in the book. You know, values, unique abilities, and purpose are self-defined, right? You get to choose, right? Mm-hmm. So for Phil and I, we sat down and we said, hey, things are great, but it would be super cool if we weren't pedal the metal every single day on this business that we've already been doing for like 15 years and someone to give us a whole whack of money so we can relax a little bit. That's a pretty cool choice too. Even if in five years time, we could have got more money. Right. Sure. Yeah, it's time. Can I ask you a question about that, uh, John? Because yeah. Tim and I talk a lot about, um, I'm sure you're familiar with Robert Kiyosaki's flow quadrants. Yes. You know, with our, with our gym owners, right? Most of them reside in that self-employed role. 
step into that true business owner role. And then eventually some of them do, you know, decide to either sell or have that business as a standalone asset. In your position, as you were describing that, you know, you're an individual who is out there to inspire. You know, you've always been somebody, I mean, I've had your emails for years and the value is unrivaled, right? Did you find yourself in a position because the way you kind of articulated the sale and the decision to sell was almost like you guys had to kind of take a step back and allow the, what was right for the greater good and the organization as a whole, maybe the end user for that to progress and continue and scale by giving up that ownership. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. By placing somebody who has more, like you said, capital and opportunity and things like that. Now you still have your influence and you still have a hand in it. But you know that by passing that off to somebody who has those tools, this can scale to you know beyond your your wildest dream. Mm-hmm. Did that cross your mind as that um, yes. you know that played out? You know, was it a matter of getting out of your own way in a way? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, I I, I think uh, PN would still be growing if if we wouldn't have brought on a partner. But I'll give you one simple cash example, right? So to do the thing we talked about earlier, right? To make sure PN is COVID nineteen proof right? Or whatever question mark is out there looming on the horizon, threatening your business. We would keep a ton of money in the business, right? So, you know, probably at the time of the transaction 2017, we had over $10 million of whatever. Phil and I could have taken that out and bought cars and whatever. Yachts. (laughs) Yachts. (laughs) (laughs) But we left in the business for the rainy day. This is what you have to do as a business owner, right? But when a $5 billion private equity company buys your company, that $10 million is marketing budget, it's staffing. At that point. So when they come in, it's not that they need to infuse capital of their own. Like They can just free up the capital that's being held in reserve just in case because they can float the business if anything goes badly and you don't have to keep a bunch of profit just sitting on the shelf when you could be investing it back in the company. So that's one example of how selling your company can help it grow. The other thing is, a lot of people think in terms of binary, like you sell the company and therefore you have nothing to do with it and it goes on to someone else, or you keep it and now you have all the responsibility and positives and negatives on your own. And I remember I was in an event called 212 that Adam Bornstein put on and uh, Justin's Nut Butter, He's got yeah. like the peanut butter cups, yeah. the organic yeah. So he and I were both speakers at this event. And he had just sold that company for like $288 million or something like, something like that. And this was while we were in discussions, right? And I was like, oh my God, like when the student is ready, the dude sitting right in front of me who can give me some advice that I haven't been able to get yet, right? So I sat down with him and we were talking about it. He really helped explode the notion that it's binary, that it's either you sell and walk away or you stay and the mantle is on you. In his case, he sold and stayed on as the CEO, right? So I'm like, oh, that's a possibility. Oh, there's a way to sell and be a minority partner. Oh, that's a possibility. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's all these, like, if you think of it as a continuum, there's all these yeah. layers of like relinquishing of responsibility and getting money, right? So you start thinking about what's the perfect balance for you, right? And the other thing is like with private equity owners, for example, they, they actually want you to stay on. They're not, they, like yeah. if you're running for the hills instantly, they're like, what, what's <laughs> wrong with this Let's business? Second, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what's, yeah. what's really behind the curtain? Oh, yeah. yeah. So for us, it was really this, this kind of thing. Like, what do you want as a potential buyer? What do we want as uh, potential sellers? 
And then what's the right balance? And, and this is the internal work that the first part of the book is about. Like, there is no right answer for all businesses. There's only what, what the list of what I want out of this is, what the list of what you want out of this is, and how do we get the most out of both of our lists? And that's what good partnerships really are, right? It's not how do I screw you to get more of what I want. Yeah, right. um, it's how do we both get the most of what we want from our list, knowing that we won't get everything. You know, so to your point, it was realizing that PN uh, probably could only grow at our ambition rate um, with a big, we, we called it a deep pocketed, like-minded financial partner, right? Yeah. So that's the only way it gets there. And if we do that, Phil and I will get to step back a little bit and get a, a big influx of capital, right? Because we have this asset, which isn't liquid, the business, right? And we could exchange that for liquid, right? For cash. So that was the conversation. And, um, and again, it worked out great. But the one step in between, you know, because a lot of people always ask me like, okay, but how do you feel like relinquishing, you know, your baby or baby. your life's yeah. work, whatever, <laughs> right? And the answer is, I mean, uh, it's not binary there either. It's not walk away and your legacy is forgotten, you know, or stay to preserve the culture, it's, hey, the onus is on you to hire um, leadership that will walk forward with the principles you've taught them, you know? So that was a really big thing for us, you know? And at the end of 2017, when the transaction happened, Phil and I spent a year hiring the replacements for ourselves. My two main last remaining roles at the company were editor-in-chief, and director of marketing. So those were the two roles I had to hire out over 2018. I took a year to do it, to find the right people, because we wanted people who could not only be effective, but we wanted people who could carry forward the legacy of the company, which we think the culture is an important part of why it's done so well. So now you can imagine, you know, you build those relationships and then you make yourself available. Say, hey, listen, I'm available not to make decisions for the company, that's no longer my role, but I'm available for historical knowledge. So if you're ever wondering why such and such happened, give me a shout. We'll schedule some time. Uh, if you're ever wondering, like, if there's some coaching you can get from me, we'll do that. So now you have a bit of influence, um, but, you know, you have to be comfortable fully with hand off the rudder, being like, it's not up to me. That's your role now, you know, and my role is just historical knowledge, uh, passing on any stuff around culture and then helping with any coaching that might be valuable for you. And then I have to be willing for you not to take my advice. You know? Right. Yeah. It's not yours that, anymore. That's gotta, but, be a, that's gotta be a new challenge or, or a learned trait probably throughout that, huh? Yeah. I mean, I maybe mean, in the past, it, but. Uh, totally learned. Yeah. I mean, in the beginning I would, you know, I, I consider myself fairly evolved and, and so I'm, I'm pretty good at this kind of thing but I have those moments of angst, you know what I mean? Where I'm like, these idiots, if they knew what they were doing, they would just listen to me, right? Mm -hmm. And then you just, uh, then you're like, okay, cool. Couple more therapy sessions, <laughs> uh, extra five minutes of meditation, I'll get through this. You're good. You know? <laughs> well, let, let's talk about this because I think this might be a topic coming up. There's gonna be people, gym owners, a lot of gym owners having to make some hard decisions here just solely on what's happening with this, pandemic, right? They're shut yep. down. They could take loans, open back up in a month or two or three, depending on where they're at, in debt with less clients than they had. So they have to start making a decision. Is this something I really want to do or is this something I should sell now? 
So I could see people maybe resonating with that. Is it time to sell or I mean, or what? I mean, this has never happened before. I'd love to get your take on where you see the future of the industry, I guess, uh, both brick and mortar, maybe nutrition, if you want to talk about that. But like, what do you, what do you predict? Because there's no wrong answer here or right yeah, answer. Totally. Yeah. This has never happened before. So this hopefully will be done and we'll be back open for business in the next two to three months, we hope. What do you think is going to happen? What's going to happen with yeah. business models? What's going to happen with the consumer? What do you think? Hey guys, as you know, at Built to Grow, we're all about systems and scalability. And that's why I want to tell you about one of our sponsors, Semi-Private Pro. Several years ago, I was in our gym looking around and I noticed our coaches were staring at their clipboards, struggling to stay one step ahead of the clients. And I thought, gosh, there has to be a better way. So I tasked Zach, our fitness director, and I said, dude, we got to find a software that would enhance our clients' training experience and increase our coaches' levels of engagement. See, we're all about client experience here. After countless demos, we realized there was literally nothing designed for our training model. So we set on a mission and I said, look, we got to create an app that is designed specifically for semi-private training. And I can tell you guys this firsthand, this is taking our training to new heights and I'm confident it can do the same thing for you. See, with Semi-Private Pro, you can streamline your training system, enhance client engagement and scale like never before without spending hours on programming. To learn more about how you can get started with Semi-Private Pro, head on over to special link here, semiprivatepro.com slash BTG, that's built to grow. So just head on over real quick to semiprivatepro.com slash BTG to check out a demo for yourself. Well, you know, I mean, the first question is what is consumer behavior going to be like once the countries open back up again, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know, I'll use the weird analogy. I don't know if you guys ever competed in bodybuilding, but I, I used to compete in bodybuilding back in the day. And I look to uh, the contest diet as the model here, right? So, you know, I competed in many contests. What you would do is 16 weeks out, you'd start your training and you're dieting, right? During that time, you'd have your iron will. You know, you'd eat nothing that you enjoy, everything that you don't enjoy until you're sick of that thing and you train at an epic level of volume. And you do all this right up to the day of the competition, right? And then with the best of intentions, you're like, okay, I'll reverse diet my way out of this. So I'll slowly add calories in and I'll slowly reduce my exercise volume. And, uh, and I'll do that over the next eight weeks and I won't gain too much fat back and I'll really control this process, right? And you, you've got your spreadsheets and you're all planned out how you're going to back out of this thing. But what actually happens is 48 hours, you eat pie, <laughs> lots Eggs, of pie, pie and cakes yeah. and ice cream. And in two weeks, you've gained 30 pounds back. Right. Yeah. This, I've, this is human I've nature. I've never seen chicken breast behind, you know, backstage at a competition. Right. That's sure. right. <laughs> you know, and that's human nature, right? I mean, when we have a long period of deprivation, we rebound in the opposite direction with indulgence, right? It's okay. very difficult not to. So how's that apply to this? I think when the country opens up again, people are going to go on a free-for-all. You know, they're going to do all the things they weren't allowed to do for the yes. last couple of months. You know, they're going to go to amusement parks and they're going to lick doorknobs and they're going to do all the things, right? Uh, and, and I think they'll go to gyms again. You know I mean? The notion that this is going to fundamentally change health behaviors uh, or exercise behaviors or attendance at in-person exercise sessions, I think probably isn't true. 
You know, and I could be totally wrong about this. Yeah, I could yeah. be totally misjudging human behavior. I just don't think these places have been closed long enough for people to internalize a new normal. This is only a 16-week contest diet. You know what I mean? It's not long enough to be like, oh, this is how it is now. Because mm -hmm. everyone's still counting down. They're like, oh, yeah, when school's open, mm -hmm. you know? And this is one of the ways Amanda, my wife, and I have been preparing ourselves. We're like, they might open, but they might not. They might not actually open until September. So we're not homeschooling for one month. We're homeschooling for five months, you know? And this is, I don't know if that's true, but it's how I'm preparing myself emotionally yeah, <laughs> you know, okay. for the work ahead. Yeah. So I think gyms will open. I think people will rush back into them, you know, and I think that um, that is human nature, you know. Some people might be skittish, like, oh, I don't want to catch the coronavirus or whatever, mm -hmm. but nah, I'm not sure. You know, I, I, I don't think that's going to hold people back. They're going to be at restaurants again. They're going to be wanting to lose weight again. You know what I mean? So I think that's going to be the case. Now, that's not to say business owners operate the way you used to and forget this ever existed. That is okay. not the message I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say, if we just parse out human behavior, I think people are going to rush outside in an orgy of social activities. Okay. You know what I mean? And that'll include going back to the gym. Now, do you think like these boot camp style models where they got 15 to 30 people packed into a room, like almost like orange theories and things like that, do you think those are going to see a decline because people don't want to be next to people? They want to work out and they want to exercise again, but they, do they not want to like touch the neighbor anymore? Um, I don't know. I mean, the one thing I, I'm not sure if people have a grasp on is why they're social distancing. You know, I think some people realize like, oh, it's, it's, I'm social distancing, so I maybe don't get coronavirus. But others realize, well, no, actually, we're social distancing, not for your own personal coronavirus health interest, but so that uh, there isn't a big influx of corona cases to the hospitals where they can't be met. So it's kind of like this. You know, the reason for social distancing is not, you know, self-interest on the front end, right? Self-interest on the front end is so I don't get it right? Mm -hmm. The reason is actually so that not everyone gets it at the same time, right? Right. So, but, so there is a self-interest on the back end, which is because if everyone gets it at the same time, then if you get sick from anything, let's say you cut yourself chopping your carrot in the morning and you yeah. cut your finger off and you go to the hospital, there won't be anywhere for you to get your finger reattached. Right. You know what I mean? So it's <laughs> for all reasons of illness, we need to keep that curve down, right? So that, that's the logic. I'm not arguing whether that's right or wrong, just that's why people are doing it. So the question is, once the bans are lifted, are people legitimately gonna be fearful for that first reason, right? That I don't wanna get coronavirus, and I don't know. Again, I think if we were mired in this for months and months, so like every time I went to the grocery store for 12 months, I was afraid, you know what I mean? It would yeah. be hard to shake that once month 13 comes. But if it only happens for one month, I think we may be rushing right back into those spaces. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Orange Theory classes might be busy again pretty quick, yeah. as We're will most gyms, you know? And again, I could be totally wrong. I'm sure someone listening to this is like, that Berardi sounded smart until he said all that stuff. Now I'm sure he's an idiot. <laughs> Well, um, we're guessing and we well, would all hope that that's the case. I think um, what most of the gym owners we're working with, is they're trying to figure out ways that they can manage social distance in the space that they're in right. and still get the same kind of experience. 
Right, exactly. So that, that's kind of what we're doing here. We're taping off racks. And then in those racks, we're going to have medicine balls, dumbbells, kettlebells, all for that one client at that one hour. Yeah. We'll wipe it down. We'll have cleaning stations. That's kind of what we're preparing for. And we're going to do another podcast on the reopening strategies and things like that. Again, we're all guessing. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to pull our clients. We're trying to understand where they're, because it's really not what we want. It's what That's we right. think. It's what they think. Yep. What do they want? Totally. And there's some both directions, really, because you'd really uh, be really bad for business if there was a coronavirus outbreak at your place yeah. and it was in the news. You know it what I mean? So, detrimental. so you, you, you yeah. want to you want to manage that as well. But, you know, again, I mean, we're talking about the taper, right? Like the the weeks and it'll be weeks where people are like remembering, oh, yeah, coronavirus. But when yeah. we're all out in public spaces again, that fades pretty fast. And when those weeks are up, people will be like, oh, great to see you in yep. morning camp. They'll be hugging again. You know? I feel the same way. And Randy and I, we're under warriors. We're like, I don't yeah. see this as being like, personally, I'm not worried about it. Mm-hmm. But so we were thinking maybe towards the end of April, we said this and when this was start breaking out, I go, yeah. at the end of April, we're not going to hear about it anymore. I think maybe yeah. that might be June now, but right. And it's mostly media driven and everything else. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, John. I think after people are in the new norm, not the new norm, but the normal again. Yeah. And if several weeks go by and several months go by, you won't even remember about this. Person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there'll be a thing. We were talking about this, like, well, you know, our kids again are young, like, will they remember even? And I think some children will. I think the ones who had a terrible experience at home will. You know, I think ours, depending on the child, might not. Like we've had, we're living in a beautiful place where it's sunny every day right now. Uh, We're really blessed that way. Uh, My wife has a teaching background. I have an education background. So when we do homeschool, that's cool. You know, we do physical activity together. So for them, uh, they might even look fondly back on it, you know. So it kind of depends on the individuals, you know. But so you know, driving what's the industry going to look like is, is going to be one, what is consumer behavior going to look like? Yep. And I just, no part of me feels like people won't go back to gyms in the same amounts that they used to. Yeah, uh, that's great news. Yeah. But then as business owners, we have to ask a different question, right? Which is if this were ever to happen again, how do I make it suck less for me and my business? That's right. True. And that's when we start looking at, oh man, diversification of revenue streams, right? So I think, again, consumers will probably come back to your gym if you're a gym owner. You know, you might want to offer some new programs and use that return as a, uh, like a blank slate, as a fresh time to sort of reconsider like, oh, cool. Can we do some new novel fun stuff? Can we do some stuff outside? Can we, you know, yeah. however we're going to do it differently, uh, like what you guys are talking about, maybe that means rearranging your physical space. Next is, what is my divide revenue stream going to look like in the future? You know, uh, there, there are some people out there who sell online training, you know, and education for online training mm-hmm. who are using this as an opportunity to tell people like go online. Right. And I think just changing your whole business fundamentally to be a hundred percent online is a bit of an overreaction, right? Like yeah. you're going to go from in-person to totally online and, and you're going to switch that. Uh, but that's just running from pain. Right? Like, do you actually know what the new business model will be like? Do you know that it's all pleasure over there and no downside? Mm-hmm. It's definitely not. It's competitive online. Marketing on- online is a whole different game. Trying to get clients when there's no geographical uh, proximity or relationship between you and the people is a totally different thing. You know, and PN did that for years. Part of our 
fundamental business was getting clients online. So I know how to do it. And I know how to be successful doing it, but it's a different challenge, right? It's not just blissful over there. But the question is just, can there be some components of that? And then again, if we look at things as a spectrum, which is stuffing 30 people in a small room to do interval style bodyweight exercise and uh, coaching one-on-one online, what are the gradations between the two? You know, and can you add some elements of the towards the other end of the spectrum into your business and your revenue model? You know, yep. uh, can can you add elements of coaching people not in person? Can that be some part of your business? Maybe ten percent of your business for now, when things reopen, and then maybe you can grow to twenty, and you put some talented people on that, and now you have you know let itself fund its way to growth. But that's where I think business owners should be thinking. You know, if this were to ever happen again. How can I be okay during yes. that transition? Yep, that's a great point. We better learn from this because I don't think this is the last time this will happen. It's just the first yeah. time. And I bring up the point because that's the exact danger, right? If all the consumers forget about it, so if in June everyone's like, Corona, what? And you're doing the same thing as a business owner, you will not learn from this. That's mm-hmm. the exact mistake, rushing right back into the old normal as the business owner you know, as, as an exerciser, yes, yeah, rush right back into the gym yourself and work out, right? But as a business owner, you have to say, okay, cool. But this is the exact leveraging opportunity to rethink my business and make it a little bit more robust, a little bit more resilient, you know, a yeah. little bit more unbreakable in the future. Perfect. Smart. I want to ask you a question there because, I mean, you, you basically, obviously with PN and, and we know nutrition is something that's traditionally... It's, an, it's a big task for somebody to take on and commit to. Habit becomes something that's you know, crucial. I'm glad that you mentioned pain versus pleasure. Coming out of this situation where all of us are, are somewhat experiencing some degree of discomfort or pain, if you may, mm-hmm. the media, the news, the health experts, everybody's talking about how fitness and a, a better health situation for you is a big reason and a big preventative measure for contracting something like this. Mm-hmm. Do you think that might actually be a caveat to carry people back to fitness as a solution as opposed to just kind of opening the doors up and letting, you know, the same wave of people come back? Do you mm-hmm. think we'll see a resurgence of health and fitness like we have or we haven't? And I, I mean, maybe like the CrossFit, you know, when that kind of exploded into the mainstream media, made health and fitness cool again for the last few years. But do you think because of the constant communication of health and fitness being so crucial that those doors are, are not only going to be opened up, but be blown open? Hey, Tim Lance here, and I just want to give a quick shout out to everyone out there surviving the day-to-day chaos of the fitness business. You know, you're showing up every day and you got people counting on you. I know it's not easy, but you're doing it, so keep on going. But listen, if you feel like it's getting to be too much, and you wanted to get some support so you can get out of the struggle and get into real growth, then I highly recommend that you check out our eight-week ProFit Business Accelerator program at winninggym.com slash grow. Go check it out, sign up, and let's get you on track for some easy wins and get back to growth mode. All right, once again, the link is winninggym.com slash grow. And now back to the show. Um, I, I've actually wondered this a lot because I've read people talking about it. Some of my peers have uh, hypothesized that that would be the case. I actually don't. I mean, I, I wish it were the case, you know, because everyone yeah. listening here 
sells health and fitness, is passionate yeah. about health and fitness, wants to give it to uh, a larger percent of the population than currently wants it. But I don't because I don't really see people drawing the connection between the two. And I'm not even sure I do. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, do we have any evidence that, I mean, I, I'm pretty fit. You know, I, I'm in my mm-hmm. late 40s. You know, I work out regularly. I eat super well. I still get the flu. I still get colds. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? These kinds of, you know, easily communicable cold flus, Viruses, like yeah. that. Yeah, like healthy people aren't immune to them. You know what I mean? So <laughs> at least, so in my mind, I'm like, I don't know that the average person is going to draw the link between, well, I eat well and I exercise and I don't get flus because they do get flus. You know what I mean? And I don't get coronavirus. Um, so again, I wish it were the case. I wish there were some universal global triggering moment to get people to be more yeah. responsible okay. about caring for their physical being. I just, I don't know this is the one because again, we have too many, every individual has too many life examples of, hey, I, I get these kind of things anyway, no matter how healthy I've been in my life or not healthy I've been in my life, you know? Right. Uh, the only connection you could maybe make, and this is a loose one, and it's not enough for it to be emotional, is, oh, it seems like the people who get COVID-19 and have comorbidities do the worst, right? Yeah, yeah, that's not, really what you're talking not about. Not universally, right? But so you're like, okay, cool. So if you were healthy and you got the thing, then maybe you would do, it's not enough for me to like change my whole life, that relationship. It's more of an intellectual one than a, emotional one. Like if I found out for sure, if I worked out four days a week, I didn't get COVID-19, that would be a different thing. You know what I mean? Got it. But um, yeah, I I don't see the connection. I think I, and again, could be totally, totally wrong about this. You know, as we come out of this, maybe there's this, this fact, like for example, you know, I've been hearing about, you know, if you were to try to stock a home gym right now, or even buy bicycles for your family, you can't get them right? They're scarce. Sold out. Yeah. So maybe, maybe the free time has given people a taste of more physical activity in their lives. So a higher percent of the population is doing more stuff. And maybe, maybe, you know, when things go back to normal, they'll now want more of this. But, but uh, when things go back to normal, they have to go back to their job. Or yeah. They have to go back to looking for a job or yep. they're going to spin up their business again. So <laughs> when making money and working and getting back to school with the kids starts happening all the free time that you may have had or some people may have had disappears i don't think they're like okay cool you know what i mean we're going to be viking six hours a week anyway (laughs) i think i think that discretionary time just disappears so that's again i could be totally wrong but i don't think it's going to fundamentally change demand for health and fitness services so you, to the same degree, you don't feel like the pain of, you know, the last, like we talked about the last few weeks, essentially is great enough for people to kind of remember this and hold on to that for yeah, you know, or the just, going future. Or the fear of getting COVID-19 being related to a degree of unfitness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think people, the pain of the last bunch of time is restrictions, uh, disruption of schedule, disruption of income. You know what I mean? You're like, man, people are telling me to stay inside. This sucks. I just want to go uh, eat a hamburger at a restaurant. You know what I mean? And uh, oh gosh, I'm an introvert and I'm here with six people every day in these four walls. Uh, these are the pain. And wow, we used to, both of us work and 
drop the kids off at school and now none of us work and how are we going to make the rent? These are the pains Those people are, are having. Pains. It's, yeah. you know, it's not a, a health and fitness. That's what I mean. The pain, I, I don't think people are associating with lack of fitness right now and health. And I think that's what would need to happen for is that interesting? us to emerge from something saying, uh, man, there's going to be a huge demand for what we do. I think we'll just return to the previous demand over a series of weeks. And I mean, g- great, because right great, now yeah. there's no demand, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I just find that interesting because, I mean, you know, in theory, this is all one large health epidemic, mm-hmm. right? And if, if this is what we're talking about every day as, as the core of why we're uncomfortable across the span, you would think that that would kind of bubble up and create that awareness mm-hmm. in the health and fitness realm. But I get what you're saying because it's not, it's not led with that, though, even though it is the problem. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, the I, other I, really, I really think the biggest opportunity uh, coming out of this as it relates to our field is for professionals working in our field, the coaches, business owners, gym owners, et cetera. The biggest opportunity is for the folks who are going to be selling to them. You know what I mean? It's not the gym owners, the business owners, the trainers and coaches selling to the client base, the people who want to mm-hmm. look better, feel better, live better. It's going to be the people selling to us, right? Selling uh, to the coaches, got it. The opportunity for education, diversified income streams, um, a little bit more resiliency in the face of these kinds of professional challenges. That's where I think well, the biggest well, that's an answer too. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> yes. we're in, so we're glad to help you guys, you know? Yeah. But, and, yeah. and you're seeing it already go online to take, you know, we've helped our clients go from brick and mortar to online and, and mm-hmm. the, you know, it's all rainbows and butterflies. But like you said, here's the thing. I, you know, it's just funny. I've told this story on the podcast in the past. I was in here with my dad. My dad was picking up some equipment because I was leasing some stuff out and letting our clients have some of our stuff to go work out with. And, and I'm watching our coach on Zoom with all these little happy faces that were our clients. And I'm looking and I'm like, we're training these clients in a little eight by eight square in the gym and they're all at their houses what do we need this gym for? And then it was hypothetical. It's because right. you can't get all those little happy faces. They're being forced to do that. Yeah. It's not like you can just snap your fingers and have 30 clients overnight. That's, that's what's funny about these people that are talking about how we, we converted these gyms to online. There's mm-hmm. nothing to do there. You just tell your, your clients, you can't work out in the gym anymore. Here's your new solution. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're a genius. It's, there's no genius <laughs> there. It's, they're forced to do it. So and I think there's going to be some misimpressions of what how easy it is. Like you mentioned, it's a different yeah. world when you're competing against these professional online businesses like yourself that know the game. You can't just, when you reopen, you're not going to have this amazing revenue stream that's mm-hmm. 50% of your business over here with these online clients because all those clients are now back in your gym. You got to find new clients. Yeah. yeah. And it can be done. It can be done. And to your point where the equipment's sold out online, you can't get it anywhere. I think a nice thing is that they're getting experience of working out in their homes and maybe they're going to be more open if you throw some ads in front of them and say, Hey, that might be a solution for us. And we'll, yeah, totally. And they'll join. So yeah, I like that you take it to the practical here because that's really what we have to solve for next. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, like a lot of people will do exactly what you said. Use that testimonial. Like, Hey, here's me and my yeah. uh, 50 people doing online coaching. Yeah. But you've got them not online. You know what I mean? There's they bought yeah. in, not online. You right. know, they love you because of what happens together in a space 
And now they're just doing this because that's all they can do. It's, it's the better than nothing option. Um, <laughs> but let's not throw out the opportunity also, because there, there probably is an opportunity to do a little bit of, uh, we could call it online coaching. We could call it hybrid coaching. I mean, this is what you know, we've done for years. The very last product Phil and I helped to create at PN was something called ProCoach. And basically ProCoach was a piece of software that allows coaches to use the PN curriculum with their own clients and themselves as the coach. So um, the idea was, you know, if you're an in-person trainer, if you run a gym, if you coach people at a facility, uh, you could do a hybrid option where the nutrition coaching happens online, you know, in a digital space mm -hmm. and the physical coaching happens in person. So again, instead of like doing everything binary, it's either all online or all in person. There's again, gradations between yes. the two and setting yourself up. Like, so for example, nutrition is easier to do. Um, I assure you of this, you know, <laughs> we've coached a couple hundred thousand people outside of the gym floor. You know what I mean? Like asking right. someone about their food before squats or before their workout or yeah. after the workout isn't the optimal way. And why do you need a separate room in your gym to sit down with a person and talk about their food? Like it seems like a waste of square footage and it's not that effect. Anyone who's ever worked at or run a gym knows like doing nutrition services and that little room in the side is never profitable. So doing it in a distance-based capacity is just markedly better. We've seen it over and over again. Uh, and that's not me trying to sell anything. It's just, this is a reality. Yeah. And if that's true, then this could be a way to step into a hybrid. Or yeah. maybe maybe you strength train with your clients in that capacity. And maybe there's a, an element of conditioning. I mean, we, we do it already hybrid. We're like, hey, on your off days, go for a 20-minute walk. Yeah. And then you text them and say, how was your walk? That's hybrid That's, training. There it is. You know what I mean? So is there tools you can adopt? Roll it into your business right now with in-person as the core when we all start up again. Yep. And then if you see that aspect growing, great, then you, then you fund it. it. Yeah. And if not, then at least you have tools in place and policies for your team and everything so that if gyms shut down again, you have something to Shit. use to connect with them. You know? Yeah, and I think that's the opportunity. That's the takeaway right there. We're forced to, to create it because to survive, we have to. Don't throw it back out once you reopen. I think you need mm -hmm. to have it. And I think that's the, yeah, and you, you were saying there's some spectrum of what that looks like. Every gym is going to be a little different. I, I think that's the takeaway, the big win for the people that are going to reopen because there's plenty that aren't, which mm. is not necessarily a bad thing for the competition wise for the brick and mortars. I mean, right. we've already heard in town, there's a bunch closing. You heard golds, 30 locations close. You've heard 24, 24 hour fitness going bankruptcy, yeah. which, which might be just a, a business play. They may not go anywhere, but mm -hmm. there's stuff happening and people are struggling bad, mm -hmm. which is just oh, yeah, another opportunity. So when you say like the 30 golds, like, so they'll be just wiped out forever. They're never just, reopening. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Better announcement. Uh, company, company owned locations, 30 of them. So if you think, so, okay, so let's just think about this logically, right? So let's say uh, 20%, and I don't know if that's generous or if that's really conservative of big box gym locations don't open up again. So imagine what your perception will be if you go to the big box gyms that still are open. So now there's fewer of them. Mm -hmm. So they'll seem more crowded. You know what I mean? Yes. So when this opens up again, they're going to seem more crowded. Whether sure. there's more people exercising total, you won't, who cares? Like that's just statistics. Um, 
But what you will see is that if 30 Gold's closed, where are the thousand members or however many big that yeah, where are they going to go? Where, where are they going to be? They're going to go somewhere. So it's going to be the other place in town, right? So like you said, that'll be good for the places that open up again. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they'll have a surge of new memberships sure. and it'll feel busy there. It'll feel like January in July or whatever, yes. Yes. you know? So this is, these are the little micro uh, changes that we're going to feel until things stabilize again. And then if there's no COVID for a long time and as the economy comes back, they'll open the 30 golds again. It <laughs> yeah. might take two years or what, you know what I mean? Uh, sure. This is how the big view of economics works, right? Yeah. There's a contraction and then there's an expansion when things get good again. Yeah. Crazy opportunities for, for a lot of people. So great. Well, yeah. I, I mean, so you got the Changemaker Academy. Where do people go before we let you go here? Where do people go to get that book right now? Yeah. I mean, f- folks can get it at Amazon or, you know, okay. any, any bookseller that they want. Uh, I know it's in some libraries now, but if uh, folks pop over to changemakeracademy.com. We've got a backslash book page that you can navigate from the homepage. And I've got all the retailers on there. I mean, it's it's sold in all the countries and all the places. Nice. So wherever you'd like to get books, the one suggestion I'd have right now anyway is because Amazon is prioritizing like essential shipping items and books aren't that. Uh, look at some of the other retailers and see what their shipping time is if you guys want to get yours more quickly. And then the other thing is we have free samples of the book. So for folks watching and listening, if you want to check out what it looks like and what the content is in advance, you can grab them at changemakeracademy.com. So we have three free chapters. We have a bunch of free forms, scripts. Anyone who's ever followed me knows we give away a ton of stuff well above and beyond for free. And so this, this, we did that at PN for years and same is true at Changemaker Academy. So browse around, look at the stuff. If you like what you see and you think it could help you in your career, uh, grab a copy of the book. Again, it's like 20 bucks most places right now. Awesome. Um, people have time to read right now. So I'd be really delighted and pleased if folks were to pick it up and, yeah. and go through it. And there's a little takeaway. You heard it here. You've heard it. Us talk about it. Give away tons of stuff. People will uh, know, like, and trust you a lot faster than you force them to buy things from you yep. all the time. I even, um, come back. I, I even created a ratio for the Precision Nutrition team which I write about in the book also in the business chapter, the marketing subsection, and it's the 10 to one ratio. I created that not because 10 to one is magic, but because if I said 10 to one and I gave it to the marketing team, that would be what they would work towards. Mm-hmm. But the idea was you 10 gives to everyone ask, right? Beautiful. So can you give away 10 awesome. awesome things for every one time you ask for a sale, ask for a referral, uh, whatever you're asking for, right? And that, again, when we've done that at PN, it's, it just buys so much goodwill. And the, uh, think about it as like an emotional bank account. You're making 10 big deposits before you make every withdrawal. You'll never go bankrupt in that account. Yep. We subscribe to the same principles here. <laughs> and so Not only does- that, but I mean, I've used John as an example on the podcast a hundred times for over-delivering value. I mean, the, yeah. the email content that you've delivered over years has, has always been top-notch. And it's always been wildly rooted in value. And I never felt like it was... Because every other company is doing the opposite, right? It's, it's buy my crap, buy my crap, buy my crap. Here's some value. And mm-hmm. so, I, I mean, I've been bought in. I love the, the, the lesson, the value. I, I'm, I've always tuned in because it's so heavily... Val, you know, based yeah. in the value side of it. And it's not a push. 
It's a great mm-hmm. point. Yeah, I and, mean, you know, PN's done it. Changemaker's doing it. Gary Vaynerchuk talks about it in his books. Nicholas Kuzmich. I mean, this is the very, and we talk about it. That's what this podcast is. It's free mm-hmm. content. Just like, you know, we're giving away. Yeah. We have our book. We've got eBooks. We've got, we give away stuff and it pays yeah. dividends. And the question is just why are more people doing it, right? Like it's, it's easy to wag a finger at folks, you know, and I have myself, but, and it's because it's challenging. It, it costs a little more money. It requires new skill sets. And it also requires a particular kind of faith, right? It requires the faith that when you do a bunch of work and give it away for free, that it'll somehow return value to you in return. And you can't measure it. And you won't know for sure if it worked. And that is a kind of faith that if you think about it, it's kind of a dumb faith, right? You're like, there's no way to trace this back to bringing value. So I'm just going to do it anyway, because it's kind of the right thing. And some people told me it'll work. All right, I'll take the leap, you know, and that's that's why. And this is what part of what being an entrepreneur is. It's these blind leaps of faith into the unknown, right? I mean, and so if you are to be an effective and successful entrepreneur, your life will be a series of these going, okay, I can't, no, I can't measure it. I have to do things without a certainty of return. <gasps> Here it goes. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And, and marketing is that, you know, and, and marketing this way is that, you know, doing a paid ad, you know, and going, hey, I, I tweaked my copy just so that I could, you know, for every dollar I spent on ads, I get 110 back right? Mm-hmm. That's more certain. The only problem is you're only getting 10 cents. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Marketing has to also have an arm that brings back $10 for every $1 yes. you spent. Yes. You know what I mean? That's what makes it possible to do the $1 and 10 cent transaction. You know what I mean? You yep. will never grow if you're just getting 10 cent return on the dollar. Yeah. Right? You'll never have enough dollars. Maybe PN does now. You know, by the tail end of my work there, you know, I had a million dollar a month advertising budget. So then you go, okay, cool. You spend a million, you get a million hundred thousand, thousand back, yeah. you know. But still, that's a that's a small return on a pretty big investment with a lot of risk, right? So you've got to have another group doing um, putting amazing stuff out in the world that's gonna bring you, you know, yeah. 10 times the return. Yeah. So you just can't measure it, you know. And yeah. that's so but it's, it's worth doing. It's absolutely worth doing. And ever since we did do that, we've seen our business grow, both the gym and ProFit here, and we subscribe to it. So guys, if you're listening to that and you're hesitant, you're always wondering, I think where my biggest hangup was, I don't want to give away my best stuff because then I have nothing to sell them. That's right. Or, or whatever, but there's always more. There, you could always yeah. give and still have plenty. So, Yes, even Pagan, who's a guy that I studied you know, early on in my career, um, and he used to talk about it as called moving the free line, right? right? Historically, the free line was anything I create from scratch, I sell, right? And the best companies move the free line. They're like, oh, yeah, everyone else is selling that kind of thing. I'm going to give that kind of thing away. And the reason it works is because when you give your best stuff away, and of course, you have more stuff, though. You yeah. can't give it all away, right? Yeah, right. They have to have something to sell. People go, wow, if you're giving that away for free? What must you get when you pay? Yes. And Moving that's the free the magic. Line. So that's where you learned that from. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we subscribe to it and, and it works. So if you're hearing it from us and the doc, Dr. John here, <laughs> and everybody else that's pretty dang successful, I think it's time for uh, the gym owners to do the, dang, you know, do the same thing. So, well, good. 
Well, thank you. Thank you for, for spending some time with us and have, you know, letting us have you on the show and Randy, you'll put those links in the, yep. in the show notes. If you want to grab that book, go check that out. John, thanks for jumping in, man. Tons of knowledge. I'm sure we're going to get a bunch of great reviews and we'll make sure you get the link to you so you can share it as well. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for having me. And for those watching and listening, thanks for spending some time with us yeah. today. I know your time is valuable. Even now, if you have some free time, you're not working, there's tons of content, right? So thanks for spending it with us. And I hope you got value in return for the time that you spent. All right, guys. Uh, that's, yeah, that, appreciate it. that's it for this episode. Until next time, guys, keep changing lives. We'll see you on the next show. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the Built to Grow podcast where we help gym owners win. Now, do you want to connect with me and other gym owners online? All you got to do is join our private Facebook group, Marketing Talk with Fitness Professionals right now. Just head on over to Facebook and type in Marketing Talk with Fitness Professionals. And when you join, we're going to give you free access to our 10 fitness marketing strategies, seven-figure gym owners use to win. All right, I look forward to you joining us next time on the Built to Grow podcast. Keep building something great.